0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Psalms of Refuge, with a message titled, What to Pray in Victory. So turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 9 as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: There are times in our lives when we forget. And we forget that God has promised to establish an eternal kingdom. The sufferings of the present era will come to an end. One day all the nations of the earth will collapse. The reason for the collapse is not because all nations just simply rise and fall. I mean, they will all collapse when the clouds are parted. Christ appears in the heavens. The rebellious nations will mourn and he will rule over all. Let's not forget. Psalm 9 is a psalm written by David that even though the time in David's life is not indicated, But it must have taken place after the words of 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 were completed. See, that passage says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. See, the early days of David's kingship were years of constant battle. That's because the nation he inherited was, in fact, no more than a collection of tribes trying to find a place to live. I mean, they fought constant battles. I mean, sometimes the tribes helped each other out, sometimes they didn't. The nation was not a nation as we think of a nation today. Even the king himself had limited authority. But David was a very gifted leader. He was able to unify the nation, then he set out to defend it. He defeated the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, and the Amorites who were to the east of him, thus establishing a secure border to the east. He also defeated the Syrians to the north. And the thing that so many Bible readers remember is he finally overcame the Philistines who lived along the coast of the Mediterranean. You know, in this way, he established firm borders. It had become a unified nation with secure borders. And that's when Second Samuel 7 verse 1 was written. You know, the time had finally come when David secured the nation. God had given him rest from the surrounding enemies. And the rest of Second Samuel 7 brings that point home. You know, by the time the rest of the chapter is completed, God has sent his prophet to David. His name's Nathan. and Before all the events of that chapter are complete, Nathan, speaking on behalf of God, tells King David that his house and his throne will be established forever. And in so doing, his offspring will rule over all the nations, a rule that will never end. And in that moment, David learns that he's the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So Psalm 2 is a psalm, you know, we didn't study in this series, and it's written to celebrate that marvelous revelation. See, that psalm began by asking why the nations rage against the Lord and against his chosen Messiah. And in the end, the rulers of the earth are warned to be wise. They are to serve the Lord with fear, lest they become enemies of God and perish utterly. And all of that is background that brings us to our study today. You know, sometimes we forget where all history is going, and because we forget, you know, when troubles and sorrows overtake us, we lose sight that all sorrows, although, you know, they might seem so oppressive and overwhelming in the moment, they will be defeated. And David's victories are a foretaste of the ultimate victory, that his greater son will gain over all the nations of the earth. Now, that's but an introduction, so let's begin studying our psalm, Psalm 9. The psalm is a bit longer, it's 20 verses long, but it's easily divided into two sections. The first 12 verses are a song of praise to God sung by David himself in praise to God for the victory that God had given over all his enemies. And then the second half of the psalm from verses 13 to 20 is a prayer to God for continual victories in the future. So let's start with the first section, verses 1 to 12. This is a song that David sings to the Lord, and I'm reading now the first two verses. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. You know, if anything, these two verses are a template. It's a formula. Every single Christian should remember and emulate. See, whenever God gives us deliverance, whenever we encounter victory, we need to give thanks to the Lord. But not just give thanks. We need to do it with our whole heart. And I think David mentions the whole heart because as we know, in those Psalms where David prays because his enemies are rising up against him, he's there praying for deliverance with his whole heart. You know, if then he prayed with such intensity when he was in trouble, should he not also praise with equal intensity when God marvelously delivers him? Notice the words David uses, I'll recount, he says, that is, I'll remember each victory the Lord gave me then I will be glad. It's an emotional word. As I recount, my joy rises. Then I exult, meaning that, you know, he's going to linger and revel in the victories. And then out of that, he says, I will sing. You know, we all remember the story from Luke 17, that, you know, the healing of the 10 lepers and only one returns to give thanks. See, offering up thanks, that's a mandate. See, out of this, let's take something to heart, shall we? Let's start recounting all the answers to prayer that God has given us. Would you do that? And out of that, build reasons for praise. So very good. David has defeated his enemies, and he knows it's come because God was with him. And so he begins in singing to God. So let's move on to verses three to six. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained by just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. See, verse 3 really sets the tone for this section. David has noticed that his enemies turned back, which means that at some point in the battle, they were routed. At some point, the discipline of the troops that opposed him broke. And consequently, the soldiers broke ranks. They, They ran for their lives. And then he says they stumbled. I mean, you have to imagine them running over uneven terrain. So many of them are stumbling, and therefore they lose their lives. What started as a threat to Israel ends up in a glorious victory. See, the reason I say this description sets the tone for this section, and perhaps even the entire psalm, is that David says they turned back, they stumbled and perished. That is, says David, not because of the superior military tactics and training of our army, but rather they turned back at the presence of God. Now, this corresponds with what we read in Psalm 124, 1 to 3. There it says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. See, David recognized what we should all recognize. We plan our ways. The will of the Lord stands forever. David is aware that the victories experienced against his enemies was not because of his superior righteousness. Rather, God had promised the land to Abraham and his descendants. God was outworking his eternal purposes. And so we have to imagine Israel on the battlefield. You know, they lay out their tactics. They meet the enemy on the best ground imaginable. But but there's behind all of that an eternal purpose that was being worked out. It was far greater than the individual battle. And so says David, you maintain my just cause. Again, we're left to ask, I mean, what was the just cause? I mean, was it that David thought he was personally just? Well, no. He thought the cause of unifying the nation was just. It was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So let's review. I mean, this world belongs to God. He's the creator. It's his. We've rebelled against God's purposes. And in response, God raises up one man, Abraham, through whom God will bless the whole world. Then Abraham's descendants will bring the Messiah into the world who would crush the serpent's head and reign supreme. You know, there's a drama in all of it. But David says, I know that I was chosen a role to play in the outplaying of that drama. And so came the day of the battle. You know, in David's case, you know it's, it's not just one battle. It was one war after another, one nation after another, and in each case, Israel eventually triumphed. The cause of securing the nation, that was a just cause because it was a part of God's dealings with Israel and God's global dealing with the human race. And so the God who had determined to fill this world with his glory was working with David's armies as each defeat came into being. And David says, I know that it was you who rebuked those nations. I know it was you that caused them to stumble and perish on the battlefield. I know it was you that ended their presence in the land of Israel so that every vestige of them was wiped out. I know it was you. You'll notice what David's doing. He utterly refuses to take any credit for the victories of his armies. And that's the lesson we all need to learn. David teaches us here, doesn't he? Woe be to us if we should attempt to take credit for what God has done. Indeed, it seems to me that all we can say about our participation in the work of God is that God has allowed us to take part in something that he was doing. When it comes to worship, we know that that none of the credit goes to us. Everything, everything goes to God. Oh, that we would all learn this important lesson never take credit for your successes. Were it not for this fact that the Lord is on our side, the enemy would have destroyed us utterly.
0: Momentum is picking up as friends from across the country sign up for the 2022 Israel Experience. Join us from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, David walked, visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, David's royal palace, sail the Sea of Galilee, and join in communion together at the Garden Tomb. A traveler from our last Israel experience said, the trip was overwhelmingly wonderful. The trip of a lifetime. Well, the full Israel itinerary is now available online and to ensure an intimate experience, numbers are limited. So register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca.
1: David has been reflecting on some of the battles he's won. No doubt he remembers times when the battle was in doubt. No doubt he remembered the turning point in the battle. Napoleon thought that in any battle there were about 15 critical minutes where everything was at stake, and that determined the way in which the battle would go. Perhaps David remembered those turning points. But as he reflected on his many battles fought, he also reflected on a reality that overshadowed all of the battles. That reality was that the Lord was the ruler over the destiny of all the nations, as well as all the individuals. So let's read Psalm 9, 7 to 10. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You know, in the first part of this section, David declares that the ultimate king, or, you know, put it in our terms, the ultimate ruler over all the nations, he's the Lord. He sits, says David, enthroned over all the nations. David knows that's not just true on the battlefield, but it's also true in every national and international matter. In everyday language, we like to say God's always in control. I know that for some, that kind of language is difficult for them to grasp. How can that be true, they ask. Yeah, for those of us who live in a nation based on laws, where our individual rights and freedoms are stressed, I mean, we're often thankful for the laws that are made and for the people that protect them. But let's also remember there are nations in our world that are profoundly corrupt. I mean, these are nations that wantonly abuse their citizens and where evil is a regular feature of government. There are also those who would like to say to David, look. I'm so glad that God upheld your righteous cause, but, you know, in our case or in my case, our rights were regularly disregarded, and we often feared for our lives. Now, if you think this psalm is naive, then please remember, there are many psalms of lament. You know, if you've been following me through this series, you'll remember that in Psalm 3, the the very first psalm that we examined, it began with the words, O Lord, how many are my foes? Some psalms are cries to God in the face of oppression to rouse himself and to come to the aid of the righteous. And so the psalms are not ignorant of the many times when it seems as if the wicked are triumphing and when it appears that God is not answering. But the rest of Scripture does help us with these matters. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers after they'd sold him into slavery, he said, You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good so that, you know, Joseph would be the key player in saving many lives from starvation. I suppose there's no greater miscarriage of justice than the crucifixion of Jesus, and yet... God used even that evil event to bring the greatest good the world had ever seen, the salvation of untold numbers. And so, for David to testify that the Lord sits in throne is a statement of confidence that whether in victory or in suffering, God always rules and is acting on behalf of his glory and for the long-term benefit of his servants. And furthermore, David is convinced that God judges the world with righteousness. He means, of course, that in the end of the day, not one act of evil will be overlooked. He also acts now for the sake of his people. And with that, David comes to a conclusion. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. In the day of trouble, you can run to the Lord. That's the reason David gives thanks. Look at verses 11 and 12. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. If you're looking for a reason to praise and worship, this is it. Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem, David's capital. David has captured that city from the Jebusites, and now his throne rests in the city. But David knows, because of the prophecies that Nathan made, that there's something much larger at play here. It's not that he, David, is enthroned in Zion. No, no, God is. It's out of Zion that the deeds of God will be proclaimed to the world, and out of that, David has counsel for all who put their trust in God. He avenges blood. He's mindful of those who hope in him. He never forgets your cry. No pleading with God for mercy or justice or deliverance ever goes unheard. God will act in due time, and for that reason, worship. Be glad. What God is like our God, who's mindful of those who love him when we're in trouble. And he hears us when we cry, and he delivers us. So for every instance of deliverance, we have to remember, give thanks. Now, having written a song of praise for victories won... David now offers a prayer, a plea, even a lamentation. It turns out that on this earth, no victory is ever complete. We win one battle and soon enough, we find there's another one. Even though David has reached a milestone in his life, he knows the battles are far from over. In this regard, I clearly remember a conversation I had. It was right after church. We were standing in the foyer. We were talking about our personal sins and our struggles with them. And my elderly brother said to me, you know, When I was young, my temptations were often particularly related to my age, and I thought when I get older, those battles will be won, and in some ways, they were. But what I find is that there are a whole new set of temptations related to my present age. I've come to see that the battle will not be over until I'm safely delivered into my Savior's presence. Now, that's not only true of our temptations, it's also true of all the other battles we face. Whether it's temptation or persecution or false accusation or relational problems, our battles are not going away. We'll always fight for holiness. We'll always fight to make Jesus known in this earth. We'll always fight spiritual warfare. And so while David worships God, he now turns to offer up a prayer. So we start with verses 13 and 14. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. I hope you see that David didn't wait until, you know, every problem in life was solved before he worshiped. You know, it tells me that you can win half a battle, you can be making progress in a battle, and still you can take time, you can stop and give thanks. Any progress is reason for gratefulness. In spite of battles won, still there are those who hate David. See my affliction, says David. It's not done. Again, I'm being brought to the gates of death. Again, I seek your deliverance. I know, O God, that you've heard this same prayer from me many times before, but I also know that you never tire of my cry for mercy. And also, says David, every time you deliver me, I'm committed to making that occasion a reason for worship. Okay, verses 15 to 17. And as we read this, listen to David's confidence rising. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made in the net, that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Hagion sila. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. Yeah, that's the destiny for all the nations that forget God. They, they may look proud and independent in the present hour. That won't last. Who now admires the passengers that set sail on the Titanic? See, at the heart of this is the sure confidence that the day will surely come when the tables will dramatically turn. I mean, you might think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the weak. See, or think about Jesus' parable of the man who took the seat of highest honor at the wedding banquet only to find out that he was in the wrong seat and that in humiliation he was given the lowest seat in the hall. Jesus explained what he meant by telling that parable. He said, the day is surely coming when everyone who exalts himself will be humiliated and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's the theme here that David plays upon. The nations have sunk into the pit that they have made. They were ensnared in their own wise traps. You know, these things says David are sure to take place. And so he offers up his final words in this Psalm, which is a prayer. We find it now in Psalm nine, eighteen to 20. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them to fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. <laughs> See, you might want to take that last line and make it your own prayer. O Lord, let the nations know they're accountable to God. They're not gods, you are. Let them realize that the only power that they presently have is that power which for this brief moment you have allowed them to have. Once this moment is gone, they will perish. But the poor, those whom the nations are obliged to defend and protect, those very poor will not be forgotten while the rich and the powerful and the ungodly will perish. O God, we know that this is true. Let the rulers of this earth know it as well. Show them, O Lord, that they are
0: only men and that you alone are God. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask, why does it seem that just when we overcome one battle in our life, another one is very close on its tail?
1: Yeah, isn't that something, you know, and and sometimes it seems like we encounter one battle and another one comes at the very same time. That happens as well, and it just seems like we're flooded with troubles that overwhelm us. And uh, yeah, you're right, Ben, and even when we, you know, find our way through them, uh, it's only a matter of time till the next one comes. So God has so determined that in this life, before we reach eternity, we would struggle, that we would have to fight, that we would have to trust in him, that there would be times of calling out to him, and that will continue to go on until we are safely home. Um, And of course, each one of these struggles will, you know, they'll try our faith, but they'll also cement our faith and build a greater awareness of our need for God and our need not to, you know, set our sights on the things of this world. So, you know, all of that works together for our long-term good, yeah, I mean, I can't answer it, the question from, you know, from from God's perspective. But from our perspective, clearly God is shaping us through all these trials. And they will continue until we meet Him.
0: Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Psalms of Refuge, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This month, we're encouraging you to request Dr. John's series, The Time of Your Life, as our free gift to you. As you listen and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time we're given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. Studying the Bible makes a difference. One listener wrote, My prayer for Back to the Bible Canada, God willing and God permitting, is to concentrate all efforts to affirm believers and to speak to the young generation. The times we are living in demand it. As always, we're so grateful for your gifts that enable trustworthy Bible teaching to be shared day after day in your community across Canada and around the world. You sustain this ministry. To request the time of your life or make a gift to support Bible teaching, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.